Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 194. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Greetings, programs. And we are here to discuss 2010's Tron Legacy, the much-anticipated and long-awaited sequel to the original Tron film. It sounds like you're talking about the ride. Very, yes. <laughs> yes, except they had not already made a Tron. You know what? No, we don't need to make that joke again. We've done it enough. Uh, I'm not really surprised that this film took so long to make for a multitude of reasons. The first being that the first was a well-documented box office bomb, but the second being that as the art of filmmaking advanced, so did CGI, so did the technology, so it makes sense that we did wait as long as we did to get a sequel. Well, I don't know if you heard when we discussed Tron last week that that film was very much ahead of its time. Uh, so I think that was the challenge here, right? Was how to make it modern, how to live in the world that we knew from the first one and at the same time make it such a technological achievement. And that is part of what we are going to discuss today. Right. So um, did we need the sequel did the sequel live up to the original? Do we think that it was kind of seamless in the timeline? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all the new releases. In 1989, Kevin Flynn tells his son Sam of how he got into the grid before going missing without a trace. While many believe he ran away, Alan Bradley believes that he is pursuing the grid further, but the ENCOM board has seized control to return the company to profitability. 20 years later, Sam, who is the leading ENCOM stockholder, breaks into ENCOM and releases the company's expensive operating, uh, operating system for free, much to the dismay of the board as the company's stock looks like it could tank, so he is arrested for trespassing. He also does not believe that the software should be sold and that it should be available for free because that's what his father would have wanted. Alan goes to Sam's apartment to tell him that he got a page from his father's office and that he had cracked the code. So he gives Sam the keys to the arcade. At the arcade, Sam finds a hidden door behind the video game console Tron and finds his father's secret lab where Sam gets blasted into the grid where he is apprehended as a rogue program and sentenced to games. Does this sound familiar? He succeeds at Disc Wars and is exposed as a user, so he is brought to his quote-unquote father, who says that he can't go home, and his father is exposed as Clue, a program that Kevin had developed to work on the grid alongside himself and Tron. 
He is again captured and sentenced to the game grid to play Light Cycles against Clue, where he is rescued by Cora, who takes them off-grid to Flynn's hideout and reunites Kevin and Sam, though their reception seems icy. Kevin explains to Sam that life forms on the grid appeared on their own, and that they, the ISOs, would be his gift to the world as they were intelligent beyond their own, but Clue turned on him in jealousy, killed Tron, destroyed the ISOs, and prevented Flynn from escaping through the portal that can only be opened from the outside, but Flynn remains in hiding to keep his identity disc from Clue. We also learn that Clue sent the page to Alan to get Sam onto the grid. Cora directs Sam to Zeus, who can help get him back to the portal, so Sam takes his father's light cycle and heads back to the grid and to the end of line club where Zeus turns him into Clue's guards. Cora arrives to help and loses an arm in the fight. Flynn arrives and has his disc stolen, so they take a wounded Cora and jump on a solar sailor to get to the portal. It is also exposed that Cora is the last ISO and that she can change the world. Clue gets the disc and kills Zeus while Cora is restored. The solar sailor is intercepted where we see that Clue is building an army out of captured and repurposed programs, one of his soldiers being Tron, as he um, prepares to open the portal and take over the world. Kevin wants Sam to get to the portal to shut it down from the outside, but Sam does not want to go without his father. Sam reunites his father's uh, identity disc, or he retrieves his father's identity disc and frees Korra, who has since been captured. The three reunite and fly towards the portal on a spacecraft, but are chased by Clue and his guards before Tron turns his back on Clue, claiming that he fights for the users, and destroys his ship temporarily. The three get to the portal where Clue is waiting and claims that he accomplished the mission that Kevin had sought out while Kevin broke his promise that they would do it together. Cora and Sam escape through the portal with Kevin's um, identity disc while Kevin stays in the grid to be destroyed along with Clue. Back at the arcade, Sam pages Alan and tells him that he is the new chairman of the board as he is taking NCOM back. He and Cora then ride off so she can see her first sunrise. Okay, um... We love when Disney opens a film with the castle and when they play with the castle, and they do it as well here as we've seen in any other film. I think this is actually the most dope one they've ever done. It looks amazing. I I just absolutely love how they gave it the Tron glow with all of the piping. It, perfect intro. It was. And then we get a narration from... I have to, like, I want to call him Flynn because that's what we called him in the first film, but now we have two Flynn's, so I have to, I guess I have to refer to him as Kevin like I did when I was reading the plot. I don't know. I, I think Jeff Bridges is always going to have the Flynn. Because really, I think of his son as Sam. Nobody, like, bestowed that nickname Flynn upon him. That's true. The way that in the first one, everybody called Flynn Flynn. Well, we get the narration kind of, not only does it, um, catch up the audience in regards to what happened in the original Tron if they hadn't seen it, but it also gets us up to this point in 1989. I thought that it was well done. Um, I didn't feel that they rushed through anything. I like seeing the throwback Tron merchandise. 
um, on Sam's shelves. And I'm going to put it... All right, we'll talk about the de-aging in a second. Let's just talk about the narration and the open and the Easter eggs. Yeah, because to piggyback on what you said, it's so well done. I, I dare say it's perfect because I love the meta that Tron has become such a huge game. There are all of these action figures there's the light cycles uh you know it kind of takes on almost like what hot wheels is to little kids right there they seem like such collector's items and it's it's such like a huge deal uh so i love that they did that and to your point too um it was the perfect amount of time it caught us up um if you didn't see the first one it doesn't completely leave you out of it. It gives you just enough history to, to understand what you need to know to get through this one without being so completely heavy handed. Uh, so I, I just thought it was really, really well done. And I love the setting here, too. I believe this was filmed in Vancouver. Um, but I love this little craftsman style beach house. I so buy that from Flynn. Yeah. Um, and they de-age him. Right. They de-age Jeff Bridges. Um, And I think that the de-aging looks good, but I'm surprised that they didn't play with shadows more, Um, at least in this scene. It's different when they get onto the grid because, um, to me, you're not really looking at Jeff Bridges. You're, You're looking at a program. But in this instance, you're looking at Flynn, and the de-aging is good, but you can tell now, 12 years later, at least at the time of this recording, that it very much is CGI. So I'm surprised they didn't, like, try to hide him, like, in a doorway because the room's not all that well lit. They probably could have played with shadows a little bit more, although I guess at the time, this was state-of-the-art technology and they wanted to show it off. I completely agree. On the grid, it is much less jarring because you can pass it off that, okay, it's a video game, even though it is supposed to be the likeness of the real Flynn uh, and and it's supposed to look human. But in the real world, uh, it's quite jarring and it looks like a really great video game. And I don't think that the intent was that, well, you know, the more Flynn goes in and out of the game, the more he's going to look like he's derezzed. Like, no, this is the one very tiny area of weakness that this film has as far as the CGI goes. Yeah. And I don't really blame the filmmakers for that. I mean, it was so ahead of its time even then. Like you look at Guardians Volume 2 with what they did with Kurt Russell and it looks so much better, but that doesn't happen without them testing it here. Because I remember when we saw this movie in the theaters, I thought, that looks good, but that's so clearly not him. It stood out that it was CGI. Um, But you got to start somewhere, right? Well, I guess that's where it's surprising because this film was certainly not the first one to use motion capture. We've seen it as early as Pirates of the Caribbean in 2003. And I mean, that's just off the top of my head. But what's really interesting is that, and I guess it was worth waiting to do this film because they had Avatar as its predecessor. And, um, you know, they did get Steven Lisberger back on to consult uh, on this film And what they used was James Cameron's technology. But I guess it looks far less janky on an avatar creature because it's a creature, not a human. So when you're applying it to an actual face, 
it wasn't as smooth yet. Um, let me ask you something, though, before we move on from this scene. Um, obviously, you know, part of what they set up in the backstory is that Flynn has lost his wife. Sam is without a mother. Uh, and Flynn disappears to go to work every night. I sort of got the impression that he knew what the risk was and possibly knew that he wasn't coming back. I don't want it to seem like he was lying to his kid because he was like, oh, we'll go to the arcade tomorrow. And he gives him a quarter and he says, you know, they'll play Tron and whatever. Um, but just the way that he was behaving, the way the grandparents are there watching Sam, I just kind of got the impression that he knew he was not coming back. I didn't get that impression. Um, I mean, they dropped the clue hint. They dropped a clue clue while Sam and Flynn were talking. I honestly think that this is very Jurassic Parky. We've developed this grid and we've developed this MCP that starts to think for itself and it becomes smarter than its programmer And now here we go back onto the grid where Flynn develops Clue. He's working alongside Tron. I think he was trying to build a utopia. I don't think that he had the hindsight that Clue was going to do this because I think that he looked at Clue as a mirror image of himself and this could not possibly happen again. Like how we brought dinosaurs back and they went crazy, so we brought dinosaurs back five more times. <laughs> or just, you know, staying in this same world. I guess he did figure that he learned from Dillinger's mistake because Dillinger had malintent when he designed this program. Uh, and it got out of hand, but I, I guess that's it. Flynn is fully aware of the risk because he's seen it get out of hand. Correct. And he thought he could perfect it. And then I like how they pass time again with these news flashes, because all we know is that Flynn rides off into the night on his motorcycle and Sam has got his quarter and he's getting ready to go play Tron with him the next day. And then we hear all of this news about how he has disappeared and people don't know if he's just uprooted and gone or if he's dead or what. But I thought this was a good way to pass uh, what was it like 21 yeah they passed 21 years I thought that that was a good way to pass the time I agree and I love the media spin too because now Sam is our main character we have to empathize with him so they're sort of villainizing Flynn a little bit and as much as you love the guy and you love your main character from the first one, you do have to have that feeling of, you know, obviously you're wondering what happened. Um, You kind of have to be skeptical about what his intent really was, because otherwise, how are we going to relate to Sam and learn to like him as our main character when he's clearly acting out? Exactly. Because in the first scene that we have, of him as an adult, he's being chased by the police on a motorcycle. He breaks into NCOM. Through the giant door. Which they comment on. I love it. I love it. Um, So self-aware. Yes. 
and then he hacks into the system and releases the software um, and then gets chased out onto a crane by a security guard who is never going to care that much as to walk out onto the crane at the top of a building. Without any kind of parachute or harness or anything. Right. Um... Yeah, I go back and forth on Sam here because even though I just said two seconds ago that we're supposed to empathize with Sam because we're in his POV now, I kind of go back and forth and I'm not sure what to make of him because if he truly didn't care about his father's company, he wouldn't have disrupted NCOM's plan. Um, You know, and that was more about upholding his father's beliefs that this technology should be available to schools and and made available to everyone. And this is just a program. It's not even the Internet yet. It's just a, a user interface like, you know, you would update. Well, not like you'd update your iPhone because that is the Internet. But it is a system that Flynn wanted made available to everyone and NCOM was going against that and Sam completely disrupts it. So, okay, I'll buy that. But what I don't understand is the showmanship here. He could have just gotten away with it and left and instead he's got to go up on the roof, parachute off of it. Then there's the chase scene, like you said. I just don't think that we needed all of that. I don't think we needed the spectacle. Um, but what I do think that we needed was to plant the seed early that there is a love-hate relationship between Sam and Flynn because Flynn is still clearly Sam's hero because he wants to continue sort of seeing through his father's vision and, you know, to the point you made of making things available and not clobbering the consumer over the head. Because Alan asks the board, what's difference? What's the difference between this and the old operating system? And they said, we put a 12 on the end of this one, on the end of the, on the box. Like, so basically, they're just saying, we didn't do anything wrong. It's just that we changed the number and now we're going to charge you for it. So I, I like the fact that they planted it early that he still wants to be a Flynn. But at the same time, he thinks his father is either dead or hanging out on the beach in Costa Rica, Costa Rica somewhere. So there is this tug of war and this love-hate that I think I think it was actually really smart how they planted it because you gave him daddy issues without going the traditional route of giving him daddy issues. That's fair. Although I do think that, oh, we added a 12 onto it was more a social commentary and a dig at Apple than anything else. Right. Um, I also like that they plant... Uh, Dillinger's son on that in that board meeting um, even though you kind of didn't need him like it's a nice tie-in but because we don't mirror real life on the grid they never do anything with this character and I would have liked to see more out of that um, yeah because he's there and then he's just gone right who we do get back at this point that plays a much bigger role obviously is Alan and um, you know again I go back and forth because he's got such a contention towards Alan too who was a father figure and stepped up when Flynn disappeared Uh, but I guess to your point that's it is Sam is not ready to run this company he doesn't want to take it over himself but he doesn't want to see it ruined either Um, and I love that they expand on that idea visually because you know, obviously Sam has to take care of himself and instead of having him in 
you know, some nice apartment. He's converted a couple of um, containers. Con- yeah, shipping containers. Uh, and it almost feels like it's a working garage and he also lives there. Right. Um, I-, I love that whole set and I love that it is standing in the shadow of Encon. Very well done. Um, you know, obviously very symbolic, but um, it's just such a great juxtaposition of this apartment that's not janky looking but it's the shipping containers it's very boxy he's got you know his his dad's old ducati in there that he's repairing um it's not as smooth obviously as the world that we're gonna see and that was done very intentional right i like that we get alan back i love the pager i think that it's funny yes that we have the pager there um and I like to me there's there is just enough fan service without it feeling like a ripoff. Yes. Right. So I don't I have said on this show before, I don't go after studios or directors over fan service un- unless it's like really bad and over the top. And you could have just as easily done that here. It was very easy to fall into that trap, but they do it just enough where if you're a diehard fan of the original film, which is very much a cult classic, it harkens to you. And if you're not as familiar with the film, you recognize that at some point in time, the original film and the game, at least in their world, was a thing. So I think it toes the line very tastefully without going over the top in one direction or the next. Right, because they didn't do it so heavy-handed through dialogue, but even just the parallels between Flynn and Sam. Like we see Flynn's apartment above the arcade when Alan and Laura go to get him. Right. Uh, So now we're seeing Sam's apartment and I don't know if you caught this. It's very subtle. Flynn changes his shirt in the apartment when they go to meet with him. And so does Sam. And he writes it off as, Oh, I smell like jail. Cause he just got out. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what his dad does. So it's it's very subtle, but the parallels are all there. It's a, it's really a great setup. Yeah, and then we see his father's apartment again because we see Flynn's arcade. Now, obviously, the exterior of Flynn's arcade very much is a CD, uh, CGI build. But once you get inside, they basically reconstructed the original set to a T. It's really fantastic. It was sad to see it that way, though, because obviously now it's in the bad part of town. And you have to imagine that if Flynn was still around, he never would have let the arcade fall to pieces like that. The The whole that whole side of town probably wouldn't have fell to pieces. Right. Um, and it's just a sign of the times that arcades are becoming a thing of the past and machines are being wrapped in plastic and left just become covered in dust see i didn't i mean you're you're absolutely right but i didn't take it as just the arcade i would buy it if the arcade was abandoned and the town was still sort of just moving on without it but i kind of feel like it is a commentary on you know you've got this big successful company on the other side of the lake um you know, and that's where all the money is now. And this whole town has been, you know, just completely forgotten about. Right. Um, so Sam gets blasted onto the grid in almost the exact same way that his father does. But that doesn't bother me because you got to get him there somewhere or you have to get him there somehow, I should say. 
I do love the idea of this hidden office. Yeah. Underneath the arcade. I think doing it in Flynn's old apartment would have been far too obvious. And obviously Flynn didn't want anyone to know what was going on. Um, what I wish they had done, though, because they bothered to get the old set piece in there from the uh, from the lab. Right. But you can barely see it because that office is so dark. So I wish that that had played more of a role in getting him to the grid. But at the same time, it's like we do have to elevate the tech here. Right. And I think that they certainly do, because once he gets blasted onto the grid, um, the world building, we talked about the world building in the first film. And just by virtue of the technology and the special effects being so much more advanced now than they were then, although certainly without the original Tron, and I'm not just talking in terms of a sequel because that's stupid. I'm talking about CGI in general and filmmaking. Without the first Tron, you don't get world building like this here. You don't get special effects like you have here. But this is some of the best world building I think I have ever seen come out of anything that Disney does. And I will go so far as to include Star Wars and the MCU. Wow. Uh, I don't disagree. It truly is incredible. And I love that they take what we already know and expand upon it. They just make it modern. Uh, It's definitely grown with the times, but everything is so easy to identify as something that we know from the first one. Yeah, and the costumes look great. Like everything about the, the world and the characters, it's sleek, it's modern, but it still looks like Tron. It does, because I think that, you know, they took the idea of sort of this modern superhero suit, like what we now call Tony Stark's nanotech, uh, how it just sort of appears and melds to the body. Um, And that's not to say that it was ripping off Avengers or anything, because this was actually before it. What they did was take the idea of, in a video game, Everything is just sort of there. Even if you're playing a video game, if you're going to change an outfit or a weapon, it just appears at your disposal. You don't have to go get it. There's no changing your wardrobe or whatever. It's just there. So I like that they leaned into that idea without a lot of explanation that this suit just applies to Sam and that's it. Right. Um And right away, he's put onto the game grid. And what is so interesting now is you see that this is a fully populated world. Yes. It's not just the MCP with his minions fighting off programs. So you see that now it's become sport. Yes. And people have favorites in the game. There are legends in the game. But they're still getting derezzed. So... It's all so familiar, and yet it is so advanced all at the same time. I thought it was really smart how they did it. Agreed. Um, Because it's not just that it's a bigger game piece where you have all these different levels now to the disc game. And once you get through one, you drop down to the other. And then you have to win your way through like eight levels or something to actually survive it. Um, But yeah, to your point this arena atmosphere, uh, it was really smart because, again, they can do more with the technology now. They can populate this world a little bit more. Um, 
in as opposed to just having these two players against each other. Um, so had they done that, it would have felt like a complete retread. But now, because they've built it up so much, the game is bigger, you're in an arena, it paints that picture of how much more this world has grown and it does sort of clue you into people are or, or the, these programs are starting to think independently. So with that in mind, it almost takes on like a Hunger Games vibe because now these people are rooting for certain players to be derezzed. Right. And obviously the games are becoming more advanced. Like you said, when they play light cycles, it is far more advanced. This is why we're getting a roller coaster. Like, it is just so stinking cool. It is amazing. Um, it was exciting. The effects were incredible. And it makes me excited to ride the roller coaster when I retire. So, <laughs> so um, it's, it definitely served its purpose and it looked amazing. Um, but with all of that being said, you get introduced to who you think is going to be Flynn, you know something's off with him immediately. And oddly enough, I thought maybe in retrospect, because it had been a while since we watched the movie, that they were going to let that mystery marinate a little bit and that you were going to be like, what the hell is wrong with Flynn? And that eventually it would be exposed as clue. No, it's like right away. I'm glad they didn't though, because... It would have left us wondering why after, you know, Flynn being gone for so long, he obviously owes Sam a huge explanation. I wouldn't have wanted that estranged relationship to drag on through the rest of the film, which in a way when he he does get to the real Flynn, it sort of does, but not as badly as when it's Clue, because you know you can't trust him. You can just feel it from the jump. It's like, right. why are you acting so weird towards your son? Correct. Um, but you get introduced to Cora, who arrives to rescue Sam uh, before he can be derezzed by Clue. Um, and I like the introduction to Cora because she's sort of lingering. You see her in a few shots. She's watching from a distance, and she just arrives on this. I, mean, I don't want to call it a car, but it's like. The Nolan Batmobile meets an ATV and she arrives and rescues him. Um, but I like her introduction. I like that we get her right away. And I like that she immediately gets him off and that she's going to bring him to Flynn. Yeah, it's a great introduction for the character, but also more subtle world building here. Because when Flynn, Ram, and Tron go off-grid on the light cycles in the first one, they're just navigating through all of these, you know, sort of hallway. It looks like you're in a computer. Right. Here now, you've seen how much this world has evolved because that's what video games have done, but you get more rugged terrain, you get mountains, you get a lot more distance um, for for where Flynn has been hiding you know, I, I, they couldn't have just got there on the bike, obviously. Right. Um, so I think this was a really smart, not just intro for the character, but like, this is where it takes everything that we know, and now it's completely gone. We have no idea what's going to happen. Correct. When we get the reunion with uh, Sam and Flynn, it's icy. Um, both of the actors are great in the scene. 
the drama is palpable. Um, but what I like about it so much is when Sam says to Flynn, I got your page, I went to the arcade, and Flynn doesn't really react to that. Immediately, you know something is wrong, and you don't know whether you can trust Cora or not. You don't know if this was Clue the entire time. You don't know if it's Dillinger. You don't know if it's Alan. Before they even tell you that Flynn didn't send the page, you don't know who you can and cannot trust. Right, because that happens with Clue as well when he's like, I got the page. And then that's really what exposes Clue for what he is. Um, but I like the sense of tension that it creates as much tension as there can be when they just let Jeff Bridges be Jeff Bridges. Right. I loved that choice that he's been in the game. He's Zen. He's not wearing shoes. It is very much what we've come to know Jeff Bridges as not just as an actor, but his off screen persona as well. Um, and I feel like they just sort of let him take it and run with it. And I'm glad that they did. For sure. And I like the Clue backstory. Yes. I think that it makes a lot of sense because, you know, he is a reflection of Flynn. And they had this mission together that they were going to build this perfect world. And as soon as the ISOs come in, he sees that he is no longer needed and turning on Flynn because he feels like Flynn turned on him in favor of the ISOs because he said, we can use the ISOs for medicine. They are going to be my gift to the world. It's no longer Clue. And the fact that this is not a person, per se, that you can rationalize with and say, hey, we could cure cancer. We could cure this. We could do this with these ISOs. And you and I will still create this great world, but they can save lives. The fact that he is so cut and dry as a program and all he knows is his mission and that's it, I thought was really well done. Well, because think about it, too. He's a program, right? So he doesn't know disease. Right. All he knows is D-Res, so he doesn't understand how important this is. Correct. Correct. And this is also where you get the idea of the legacy. Um, Because to me, it takes on the double meaning. It's not just the legacy of his family, but... It is his life's work. Right. And then they tell us that the portal will only be open for eight hours before it closes again. Mm. Yeah, a little bit, right? It is like my one critique of it. it. Just a little bit too convenient, a little bit too forced. And I think it just could have used a little bit more explanation than that. It could have. But we needed a reason to get Sam back onto the grid against his father's wishes, and that's what happens when Cora tells him, let's go see Zeus. Now, at this point, I am not trusting Cora at all. No. Um, there's just too many, like, sideways glances. And, and up to this point, it's interesting how you kind of flip on her, because I don't think the intent was to make her a femme fatale, and I love that about this film, because they gave her such a childlike innocence like when they're going through all the books and she's like oh I love Jules Verne do you know him um I thought that was really cute it's very much on brand for what Cora is um but yeah as soon as she talks about Zeus who you can't trust right away either uh it definitely makes you question Cora um but for me this is where I don't care that there's no explanation about the eight hours that this portal is open. 
the introduction of this character yes is is the greatest thing that they could have done he is such a scene stealer whether he's caster or zeus um he's got the bowie vibe in the aesthetic but such panache when he's dancing it he's just such an amazing character he's like bowie meets tim curry in rocky horror yes and when he's got the cane it's jim carrey's riddler oh good one you know what i'm saying like it's an amalgamation of all of them i have him noted in my book here as bowie zeus because that's exactly what he is um yeah, I even love just right down to the hexagon on his forehead, it reminds you of the lightning bolt makeup. Everything about him is great. He's a great character. I wish we would have had a little bit more of him. Yes. If there's one character I wish that they would have dragged out a little bit more to break our hearts, it's him. Yes. Um, but the pacing of the film's really good. So I sort of don't like as much as I wish that we would have stayed with him a little bit longer. I also don't hate the fact that they moved on just to keep the story going. We didn't need the movie to be 15 minutes longer to live with Zeus a little bit more. Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, he's unreliable. You know you can't really trust him. Would it have been nice for him to prove that he is on the side of the good guys where you fall in love with him and then you lose him. Sure. But not in sacrifice of the rest of the film. Right. And, and you do get the Lisberger cameo in this scene at the bar too, which yes. is really nice. Yeah. Um, and they, unfortunately Zeus doesn't last all that long because clue destroys the end of the line club. Um, and we're back on the solar sailor, Right. The elevated solar sailor. The elevated solar sailor. And they do a lot of good here, but they do a few things here that I wish they would have tweaked. Yeah. I like that Sam is explaining to Flynn what Wi-Fi is, and Flynn laughs it off and goes, I thought about that in 85. Um, I love stuff like that. I think that the scene where he says to Sam, Clue is me, infinitely chasing perfection. I thought that that was a big moment for the character, especially given what we had seen in the first Tron film. And like I said, it's a little Jurassic Parky. Like we saw what the MCP could be. Why are we going to try it again? But he has that moment where he looks in the mirror and I think it's huge for the character. I agree. This conversation between Flynn and Sam was completely necessary because even up to this point, they are still estranged. Not as badly as when he thinks Clue is really his father, but that dinner scene, the tension is palpable, and it's supposed to be. Yeah. But here is where you get the full explanation, um, not just about what his original intent was, like you said, Clue is me, but you also get uh, confirmation that of what happened to Tron. You get confirmation and this was a big question we had last time about how long uh your life in the game is versus what's going on in the outside world right and you know this is why flynn has aged so much because seconds in the real world are years in this game right so i think that it was absolutely necessary however this is now the second film you've done where the solar sailor conversation takes a very long time and i think that they could have paced it up a little bit more the thing with the solar sailor conversation it's it's less about 
Flynn talking to Sam about Clue because at least you're getting some flashback. You're seeing things. My problem is that Cora's backstory is fine. I think it's very good because this is where it is revealed to us that she is the last of the ISOs and she's not just his apprentice. It's not right. just somebody that latched on to him. Like there's a reason why he has kept her so close to the vest. But they do an awful lot of backstory in dialogue. You've had no problem flashing back multiple times throughout the film. I don't understand why we didn't flash back here, see some actions, see Flynn rescue Cora, why it just needs to be fleshed out in dialogue, because if there's any sort of pacing that gets killed, it's on the Solar Sailor, Mm -hmm. much like the original, and it's because we're just watching two people talk to each other. Right. Had they done this while... Uh, he's looking at her DNA and they're regrowing her arm, which is in Valhalla. Um, I think it would have definitely punched up not only the pacing, but the tension. Because if if he's giving all this backstory and you're dragging out regrowing her arm, it almost creates the idea of can you actually save her? So I think it definitely integrating something else besides a conversation where they're looking out into the abyss would have been helpful here, especially because now in the next scene, Clue is rallying his troops and he is villaining so hard. Yeah. This monologue goes on forever. And there's, I was trying to think of what it was and I, I can't off the top of my head. There's, um, there's a film that makes fun of that, of the villain monologue that you're taking too long. So it gives your main characters enough time to do what they have to do. It was probably Austin Powers. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of it right now, but it, it was what I was reminded of when we were watching this, and I was like, okay, your speech needs to be like 30 seconds shorter here. Right. And much like the original Tron film, the ending of the film is kind of fast. It's not abrupt. I'm not going to say it's rushed. It sort of is what it is. They have to get to the portal. They have to get to the real world. They have to shut the portal down from the outside. And I don't think you needed to drag it on. I think that the pacing of it was fine. I like the fact that they swapped the identity discs and that when Clue gets his hand on what he thinks is Flynn's, he actually has Korra and... Cora and Sam have Flynn's disc and they send it through the portal to take back to the real world. Um, how did you feel about Flynn going down with the ship? Ah, uh, that was going to be my question to you. I so go back and forth with this because I don't want to lose him. I'm so invested in the character and just simply Flynn on his own. I'm not saying it has to be a perfect ending where Sam gets his father back and then they can both execute Flynn's original vision and run the company together. I think that being said, it would have been too perfect if Flynn went back with him, but I hated to lose him. We also know though, in this world that just because you're derezzed doesn't mean you're gone. And in a world where you can basically recover anything from a computer, um, I think that there is a world that we live in where should they do a third film? And we'll talk about that, you know, as we conclude our review. But I want to talk about a couple of characters first. 
I think that there is a very clear way that they can pick up the story um, without it feeling like a ripoff and without it feeling like a stretch. I would hope that that way is through Tron because, unfortunately, and we, we sort of glossed over that, we do have to lose him again. But um, I I love that even though Clue got him, he still had enough. I guess you'd call it self preservation. I I don't I you know and I can't really think of a good way to put it in program right. terms. Uh, but I fight for the user. I love that. Yeah. So I would like to think that if they're gonna do another one, that it's sort of channeled through Tron in some way. Yeah. All right, let's talk about... I'm just going to talk about the new characters because we've already talked about the original characters when we reviewed the film last week. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful to have them back. Um, and it was so nice to see uh, that they really wanted to do it. Yeah. They were very excited about this project. Even I think it was Bruce Boxleiter that said, I'm just happy we're all still <laughs> alive and well to do this. Yeah. Um, all right, Garrett Headland plays Sam Flynn. Um, I like him in the role. Um, he doesn't have a ton of personality, but I don't think he necessarily has to. Um, I think that he can just be kind of blunt and to the point because I don't look at him as a cardboard character. I look at him as being very hardened to the world. He lost his mother. He lost his father. Then he lost his grandparents. Like you said, he's living in this converted shipping container. He doesn't want to be rich. He doesn't want to be famous. He just wants to kind of like come and go as he pleases um to me he kind of looks like jeff bridges mm. not enough where like it doesn't look like a clone but he looks like he could be a relative of jeff bridges um and i like him in the role as the lead i agree um i like the character and and i love the actor i think that uh he just understood the assignment um you know he he knows the history of this film he appreciates the history. The entire cast did. They were all fans of the first one. Um, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't done more things because I thought he was just so talented. The way that he was able to give Sam this quality of still waters run deep. Yeah, um, Olivia Wilde plays Cora, um, and I like Olivia Wilde in basically everything. I really like her in this. I thought. I had the same note that you did, that she's childish, but in all of the ways that you want her to be childish, I thought she was fun. Um, I thought she was funny when the comedy did get peppered in, and I thought that she was a good addition to the cast. Agreed. Uh, and, you know, she got a lot of fight sequences, too. She really dove into this role head first. Yeah. Michael Sheen plays Zeus. What else can you say? He is the absolute scene stealer. Not just scene. He's the movie stealer. He is probably my favorite thing about this film. Yeah. And then James Frain plays Jarvis, who is Clue's right-hand man. The um, irony. Yeah, the irony. And I didn't know that character's name until just now. Because I don't think they... I don't think they say it. Because in the couple of times we watched the film this week, without just watching through the end credits... I was waiting to hear his name. I don't recall hearing it once. I don't either. And that would be such an easy throwaway to command him to do something. Um, my my only issue, I wish that that had been Edward Dillinger. Yes. And that is like my one critique 
of this film. So I guess if you don't mind, I'm going to go right into my final yeah. synopsis. Go ahead. I wish that they, it's the one parallel that they don't have to the original where the cast in the real world mirrors an avatar. And I wish that they had done that. I wish we had seen, you know, the, the guy from the boardroom, his name escapes me, uh, who launches the new uh, operating system. I wish we had seen him in the game and I wish, or on the grid, and I wish that we had seen Edward Dillinger, especially since they bothered to do it. Why just hap- hat tip him? Give right. him a meteor role. But um, yeah, that, the uh, eight-hour portal and the CGI with the de-aging in the beginning, only the beginning, like I said, in the game it's passable. Those are really my only critiques of this film. Otherwise, uh, I absolutely love it. I think that they... In taking their time getting this film out, they really went about it the right way. They gave us a film that made total sense picking up off of the original, not just story-wise, story but visually as well. Uh, and I just think that they knocked it out of the park. And it's very rare that I say this, but like it, love it, want more of it. I don't care if they do another sequel. I hope they do. Yeah. Um, I think that Jeff Bridges playing two characters, but the same character, um, was incredible. I think that he t- I think that so you you have issues with those few things which I have some similar issues with my bigger issue is that Cora makes this thing that she wants to see a sunrise and Sam takes her to see like the worst sunrise you could possibly go to see um but other than that yeah I think that this is as good a sequel as they make I think that it is a clear um I think it's a clear bridge from the first film. Um, I think that it has a clear beginning, middle, and end. I think it's got incredible world building. It's got characters that you root for. It's got old characters that you love. It's got new characters that you fall in love with. And I want more of it, but the problem is you are now in development hell with the third Tron movie because unlike its predecessor, this was a major box office success. Um... And yet still it has a cult following. They were locked and loaded, ready to go with a third with a third Tron movie, and they canceled it because of Tomorrowland. They took such a bath on Tomorrowland that Disney canceled the third Tron sequel, but like only kinda sorta, because then it went into development again with Jared Leto. And as of like a year ago, they were like, well, we're working on getting Daft Punk back because his score was awesome, actually, for this world. Oh, it was perfect. So like it's on pause, but it's not. But we're opening this ride, except it's not. I honestly think as crazy as this seems, I think the success of the ride at Magic Kingdom and how long they have virtual queues for and how much people are willing to pay for Lightning Lane I think that's going to dictate whether or not we get a third Tron film. They had the animated uh, show Tron Uprising. I don't think that's enough to push it over the top, but I think merchandise sales, I think the streaming numbers after the attraction opens, I think that's all going to play a big role as to whether or not Disney wants to invest another $150 million into making a third Tron film. I'm wondering if we actually get this answer at D23 because that is how they decided to roll with this one. They had the writers on board, they had the director, and they made a three-minute pitch deck, which they launched at San Diego Comic-Con. 
and the audience reaction was just so over the top, uh, they were like, okay, yeah, Disney said we'll give you the budget that you need to accomplish this because people are so hyped about it. I I think people are still just excited as excited about Tron. Um, you know, we had said this last week that we're just kind of over it with the coaster. I think that's the general consensus because it's taken so long. But I wouldn't be surprised if they announce something at D23. And if they don't, I wonder if they finally open this coaster and then announce a third film. We want to know what you have to say about Tron Legacy. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. We have a contest winner coming up, but first, a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of. Jackie helped us with every step of the planning. She helped us pick the right time of year to visit to make sure we don't have big lines, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget. She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions. These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice in making it all a little bit easier. Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen. We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was an unforgettable family trip to Disney World, and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. So there's actually no news this week, but we still want to shout out our friend and sponsor, Kelly at Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for media kits or graphic design, she offers so many different services that can help you out. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. You can see all of her work at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. If you want to listen to us discuss some newsworthy topics, you can actually go back and listen to last week's Dockside Chat because we did touch on a lot of stuff that happened last week. But since the removal of the Tower of Terror billboard, there just hasn't been much that's happened in the world of Disney to comment on that isn't just coming out of a rumor mill. There is a big Marvel rumor that I am dying to talk about, so hopefully we'll have that confirmed by next week. But in the meantime, we do have a contest winner to announce. Uh, Thank you all who entered to win our Loki prize pack, the lucky winner of the Funko Pops, the pin, and the Monoreal Radio t-shirt is Nicole Antonetti. So, Nicole, get in touch with us with your shipping information, and we will get your prize pack out to you ASAP. Thank you all uh, so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to be following us on that social media for new releases of the episodes, for other contests that we're going to be running, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. (laughs) 
On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.